Welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a podcast posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. This is episode 119. You can also listen or subscribe by searching for Pints and Politics on iTunes and on Stitcher. We are also an occasional panel discussion program on Trent Radio, CFFF, in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 FM. On Pints and Politics, we explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough, Ontario, and Canada. This episode was recorded online on February 17th, 2023. Today, our focus is on Black History Month. Joining me is Stephen Wright, former Peterborough City Councillor and mayoral candidate, and Rosemary Sadler, past president of the Ontario Black History Society from 1993 to 2015. Rosemary contributed to the recognition of black history through education, research, and outreach programs. Rosemary's pressure was central to the Canadian government's 1995 decision to make the celebration of Black History Month a national annual event. So, welcome to both of you. To my first question, what do Canadians of all backgrounds need to know about Black History Month? Oops, sorry, Rosemary. I dropped your line. Uh, just go ahead. Had had Black people before Confederation, and that they have been contributing towards the development uh, of this country ever since. And without having Black History Month, I think it's really easy to slide into the possibility that Black people are really just, as a group, recent arrivals, therefore not deserving of any of the largesse that the society has to offer, and that they're actually unwelcome. So I think it's just a way of beginning to, or continuing to, remind people. It's a, it's a, an intentional act to remind people that this country is incredibly diverse. Why do we observe this month in particular? Is there any underpinning under February? Yeah, absolutely. Um, February was, um, you know, the long history. <laughs> um, it started in 1926 with Carter G. Woodson, who actually he was seeing how some things were working for Emancipation Day or what is the equivalent of Emancipation Day in the States, saw some things that were happening and was really impressed with how empowered people felt by being part of these kinds of celebrations. So he started this thing called Negro History Week. That's what we how we referred to ourselves in 1926. And it grew and grew and grew and became Black History Month. But in the meantime, it had come to Canada with the railroad porters. And so it was roughly discussed and first celebrated actually in Toronto at the British Methodist Episcopal Church of Canada on Shaw Street, 460 Shaw Street. And it was organized by the Canadian Negro Women's Association. And they brought in former porter, later to be citizenship court judge, Stanley Grizel, to be the host. And so that was just happening within the black community. No, but it was beneath everybody's notice. But by 1978, the Ontario Black History Society was formed. By 1979, they had been successful 
at securing the first proclamation from the city of Toronto. And so Dr. Daniel G. Hill, Wilson O. Brooks, Joan Kazmarski, Donna Hill, Lorraine Hubbard uh, were among the first board members and they were able to secure this. But time goes by. And by the time I had been volunteering with the organization and ended up becoming the president in 1993, there was no understanding about what we had to do to make this and continue the, the tradition. And it was brought to my attention, and you have to remember, I'm a volunteer too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't in the office all the time, so and we had a new office manager. So I, I have three children. My youngest is barely a year old, not even a year old. And um, I found out that we were not going to have Black History Month because nobody had petitioned the city of Toronto for an annual um, proclamation. Oh, good. And um, so we quickly were able to get that done. And I realized that this was incredibly precarious and um, found a way to try to have it secured annually. Then I realized that this wasn't just about Toronto because from my lived experience, I I knew that there were Black people throughout the province and uh, people who needed to know about them. So I was able to have it done also with the province of Ontario. I got it done with each province in the country, but many of those provinces were may not, it may not have been official. It may have been more of a letter of appreciation or understanding, but I got it for every province in this country. And I also uh, went to a number of different MPs. Meanwhile, building up a community of interest, offering Black history presentations, as many as at least 2,000 by the time I was done, interviews, exhibits, events, everything <laughs> that we could do. I went to a number of different MPs, and this is before social media. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, if you met with somebody, you had to actually meet them. <laughs> <laughs> Not like we're doing, you know. This is we'll remember that. <laughs> actually, meet and and it, if you had to talk to someone, you had to. The office actually had a dial phone <laughs> right. and, um, and faxes. They were coming. Oh yes. Yeah. So um, I was able. I happened to be in an event that was a fundraiser for Jean Augustine, and she was one of the many MPs I had reached out to. Uh, I'm the Honorable Jean Augustine, who was then Parliamentary Secretary and the MP for Etobicoke Lakeshore. And I said, you know, would you consider doing this? And she, um, I asked her for a national proclamation and she giggled and she said, we don't do national proclamations. She said, but we do do national declarations. So I asked her if she would do a national declaration. And she said, I don't know. And lawyer Lloyd Perry was there. We were at Denham Jolly's house. And Denham Jolly is the person who wanted to found the first black radio station. Um, So he was affluent, and that was why he was hosting this fundraiser. Anyway, Jean Augustine and Lloyd Perry wander off to talk. And when she came back, she agreed that she would work on it. And I was very happy. I flooded her office as she requested with Black history information by fax often. 
Um, and and I was given the heads up when CPAC did the vote, and I was the only non-elected person ultimately invited. It passed in December 1995. I was the only non-elected person on the stage uh, at the first national um, celebration of February's Black History Month, addressing the nation um, oh. with the Prime Minister and the Black Caucus and the honorary Black member, Sheila Copps. Wow. That that would have been Mr. Mulroney. No, it was Jean Chrétien. Jean Chrétien, of course, of course. Right? Wow, that's great. What about Peterborough? What is going on in Peterborough with Black History Month? Really a, a microcosm of the national situation or, or now tradition. Now, each year, Peterborough recognizes and celebrates Black History Month. Not this year. <laughs> no, yeah. What, what about this year? You know, you know, Bill, uh, Stephen here, and I'll pipe in there. You know, Rosemary gave a uh, a good rounded outline of how we got to the federal declaration. But across the country, there were a lot of things that were happening that made uh, people of color in the BIPOC community feel unwelcome in a lot of communities across Canada. Uh, the work that she was doing in 93, I recall being in Winnipeg, um, and uh, uh, then Minister uh, of the Crown just didn't want to recognize how black people in, in Winnipeg were being treated. So, you know, we come to Peterborough, and you know, more specifically to your question, that, you know, since the federal declaration was passed, Peterborough's first celebration of Black History Month really didn't happen until both myself and uh, Kemi Akapo, former councillor, were elected. You know, with unanimous support from the mayor's office, uh, I have to give credits to Diane Tarian because uh, she was quite supportive when I came to her and said to her that uh, we, we've never had any significant event recognizing cultural diversity in Peterborough. At the time, I brought to her a recommendation based on a story that a local longstanding resident, Ada Lee, had told me yes. of when she first moved to Peterborough, being a, a petition taken up in Peterborough to have her leave the community because it was believed somebody of color would devalue property. So, I can do that. Yeah, so to correct some of that historical past, I, uh, you know, Ada Lee was no longer living in Peterborough, and I said to then Mayor Tarian, that this particular year's Black History Month, since it's the first time the city was going to have an official event, and Rosemary can correct me with the timeline here of how many years, because we're looking at a federal declaration in 93? 96. 96. Peterborough was having its first official event in 2018, or 2019. Whoa. So, you know, right after yeah. the... Yeah. And, and you know... And I have to say, there was nothing as far as um, city staff or city tax dollar contribution at all. Mm -hmm. You know, Peterborough race relation came to the table in a significant way uh, with Charmaine Mungabi as a chair, uh, mm -hmm. another person of color in Peterborough. To, to you know, there was a large turnout. Uh, you know, there were that event. I have to tell you, there were tears rolling down the cheeks of people in attendance. Because of how impactful it was, because 
You know, Peterborough had its own sunset bylaw, which is unfamiliar to other communities across this country. Mm -hmm. So this year in particular with the, I would say the dismissive attitude towards Black History Month has now brought us back pre-2019. Right. Yes, yes, we we like to assume that things unfold as we see nationally, but uh, they don't always do that. No. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that Rosemary's attended a lot of events across the province, so she might want to hype in there and, and, and just kind of highlight how some of the other cities have actually uh, responded in rolling out their Black History Month events. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I have to admit when um, I'm happy that I was invited to the first celebration in Peterborough, but I do remember in my remarks, I made mention of the reality that that was somewhat how wonderful, but how odd that it took so long for this to happen since it had been a national thing since 1996. And also since there, you know, it isn't that Peterborough is without its own specific black history and black past. So it was uh, somewhat surprising. However, I have been at sometimes the first events or sometimes one of con- many continuing events across the province and frankly across the country. And people often are involved because it has been mandated by whatever level of government might be issuing the invitation and therefore the attendance. Local events might include the mayors uh, or a number of councillors or both uh, with, you know, entertainment, culturally relevant foods, films, uh, speeches. Sometimes it's a dinner, depends on the area, all the way up to conferences or the national celebration itself, which has been held in Ottawa. And I have gone to it every year since the National Declaration, save for covid and that will often uh, include uh, the Prime Minister and um, the Black Caucus and as many uh, important community leaders as uh, can possibly be crammed into the, those massive rooms in Ottawa. It really varies, and it takes ah. a, a bit of a local tone. Um, so, uh, But people try to also reflect... Um, African heritage, because no matter where a person of African origin comes from, they have an an ultimate connection to Africa. And frankly, no matter who you are, you have an ultimate connection to Africa, um, given where the first person, first human um, came into being. So it's, it's really, I think, important that these initiatives are mandated and supported and happen through government, um, whatever level of government we're talking about. And the reason for that is that if you download the responsibility solely on the community, if the community is not well organized, not well funded through to generational disadvantage or what have you, it it changes the nature of the, the celebration. It reduces the diversity of who can attend. And it, it diminishes it in the its importance. If Black History Month, yes, part of it is to affirm, but the other part of it, affirm that there is a Black history, uh, Black people in this country. But I think the other part of it is that it's an opportunity 
for levels of government to pointedly and intentionally show that they support diversity and that this is at least something that they're attempting to do to demonstrate that to everyone. Thank you, Rosemary. I'm wondering, there are those voices out there, uh, I have certainly heard them, that say, well, what about Indigenous History Month or Asian History Month? We have Indigenous History Month. Right, okay. but, But here's the thing. Um, I'm going to say some things that maybe you don't, people may not want to hear, but let let me try and say it in a soft, nice way. If we already were talking about Canadians as being a whole lot of things, not just people of European backgrounds, we would never need a Black History Month. Let me give you an example. My mother's, uh, both of my parents are Black. And my mother's family, not her, her ancestors, came into Canada about 1830. Okay, so they came, they were possibly assisted by whatever agents on the Underground Railroad. But when I was about, I don't know, I won't say old, but I was married and had kids. And that was when I was really clear that my father's family had been in this country since 1783. They were invited to be here. They came in as black loyalists, as late loyalists, and as refugees of the War of 1812. And I had gone through our incredibly wonderful public educational system without learning about them. And... I it filled in a piece that was missing for me and helped to make clear why there were times that even though this is my country, I did not always feel a part of it. Mm, well, you know, you you remind me, Rosemary, of a uh, student experience I had years ago going to uh, then Sir George Williams in Montreal, and there was a student. That was a while ago when it was Sir George Williams. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> in sociology, and, and he was black. And who, was who was he? I probably knew I, I forget his name. But he was quite, quite a, you know, he was a scholar. I think he was uh, already doing some uh, TA work, uh, and... We got into the dis- discussion, and it came out. He said, I, I think I-, I got into the where are you from thing. <laughs> he said, well, I'm from Halifax, and we talked more. And then he said, uh, you know, I was 21, 22. Then he said, you know, I'm from one of the oldest families in Canada. And then he described that his people, as you were saying, uh, United Empire loyalists who came up in the late 18th century, 1780, 1790s, and settled in the area. And as you, it struck me, you know, he's probably one of the people I I met in that area of my life who, who have been in Canada the longest. And here I'm asking him, where are you from? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It, it, it was interesting enough, Phil, that when uh, uh, Rosemary talks about how long uh, black people have been in this country. Oh, yeah. You know, when you think of the Ottawa Canal and the Trent Severn Waterway, you know, what was never really categorized was the contributions from people of black culture that were moving from the East Coast to Southwestern Ontario and would have helped on that kind of infrastructure project as well. Sure. Now, I'm just wondering, in terms of the rise of populism we see, uh, right-wing populism in particular, the the faux nationalism, the right-wing extremism, and the lingering after-effects of the Trump presidency, what's your read on the public mood around Black History Month, at least in Canada? Well, I think, you know, we are connected to whatever happens in the United States. I think that really often we want to disconnect ourselves as if we are incredibly separate. But we were founded at about the same time, settled at about the same time. Colonialization started at about the same time. The people who were part of that, who effected the systems that we are all impacted by, all started at the same time. And the differences are actually incredibly minute. We had people who who supported the enslavement of Africans, and we had people who were abolitionists. We have in this country a history, a 200-year history of Mm -hmm. enslavement of First Nations and Africans. Why, whatever is happening in the United States and the challenges to continuing to study or give consideration or focus or attention to black history, um, there are people here who are also going to feel that. They're uh-huh. just perhaps not quite so um, numerous, but, you know, it doesn't even matter. The, the, the sentiment is here. And the idea that we have arrived at a place where we really don't have to be concerned about defending a need or or we're not there yet. Black History Month. Yeah, to add to that, Bill, and, you know, to to kind of heighten the local element of it, you know, we remember a couple, uh, was it a year ago now with the George Floyd incident, there were people en masse at our uh, Del Curry Park, taking a knee and showing support. But in, in recent reporting, an employee at a Sobe store received uh, yes. you know, one of the most disgusting racially tattered letter, you know, saying that you should be less your culture because you have been in this community long enough and you should be more white. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So when you tie that to... <laughs> In action of our local government saying, listen, here is an instrument that we have, because if you really want to work to eliminate racism in this, in any community, quite probably celebrate the diversity. Yeah. The Black History Month event and all the others celebrate them because when local government is involved, it's then used as a tool for greater education. You know, I was kind of embarrassed when I went to the Peterborough Library and asked where the Black History Month section was. And there was this tiny little shelf in front of the checkout desk at the library. And right. the fellow said to me, well, there it is. Right. <laughs> Our history was narrowed down to the equivalent of a very small bookshelf with maybe 25 items on it. 
That's 25 more than there might have been for many people not so very long ago. Oh, yes. I'm wondering, uh, every time I get into a conversation about Black History Month uh, with someone from the black community, I'm astounded at what I find out. Like, what are the stories that light up Black History Month? For those who are not part of the black community, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, for example, uh, uh, I think it was with you, Stephen, not, not long ago, we were talking about the construction regiment during the First World War. And I really mm-hmm. hadn't known about that. The black construction regiment in the, uh, it was quite big in uh, the Canadian Army and what they did and where they wound up. You know, those stories don't get circulated. Yeah, there's a lot of those stories that don't get circulated. You know, I was in uh, second year university in Winnipeg and uh, a friend of mine had left Winnipeg to go study at Dalhousie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got a phone call and says, have you ever heard of Africville? I had never. Now I'm second year university, black, never heard the story of Africville. I've read our history books and all the stuff yeah, that yeah, we yeah. to social study classes. Yeah. It never came across. Yes. And, you know, it's one of those stories that when you, 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 you talk about now, you talk about, you know, I'm looking at it from a municipal development. Uh, here is a community of black people that mm-hmm. was, you know, completely wiped out to build a bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nowhere would, did I find it recorded in the history or any of the lessons that yes. I learned in social studies about Canadian history. And that was a part of our history. You know, right. uh, Josiah Henson never heard or read about it in any Canadian text on our history with the Underground Railroad. I lived in Alberta, never knew about Ware Creek and how the cattle industry started in Alberta. But it was a freed slave driving cattle across the border that helped develop that industry in Alberta. I didn't so know there's that. a lot about our history that's yeah, yeah, celebratable, yeah. you know, in, in knowledge uh, that should be sure the dollhouses in... Uh, Rosemary, help me out here. Where are we? Are you thinking about Niagara? Niagara. Well, I mean, I'm not sure about some of that, but I, I, mm-hmm. I think what's more critical, and actually, I, I'm uh, sorry, I, there, there were a number of different hotels and resort areas in Niagara and St. Catharines, and some of them during the height of the Underground Railroad did actually. Um, have black staff who were very helpful in making sure that people coming through with their owners would be able to escape. But there's a, a dollhouse in that area. I can't remember. I know what you're referring to, and I'm also blanking on the exact name. It's reported to have maybe been connected, but I don't know that it was. I think it was a little bit more connected to something closer in time to uh, prohibition, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I have another question. I don't know if we want to go here. What about elsewhere in Canada? Is Black History Month celebrated or just tolerated or, or ignored? Or have we gone beyond that? It's celebrated across the country. And I think that there are efforts perhaps by some to diminish it or ignore it, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean and that's you know what what that's not really yep. a surprise. I think that for some people they feel like, you know, we're done. 
we we check that box. We we've already felt bad about George Floyd and his public execution. Uh, we've been having Black History Month celebrations for a number of years. We're good. Everything's fine. Let's just get back to the way things were. Right. With some people, right. but then there are other people who know that the way things were was never perfect. And the way things are is still a challenge. And they continue to do what they can because they are very much interested in social justice. And just to think of that social justice sure. element, uh, Bill, uh, you know, in seeing where we progress, because an element of Black History Month is to also showcase what used to be, where we are now, what are the achievements that were made. You know, our good friend Michael Tullock being appointed Chief Justice of Ontario, it's a first. It's a yes. Canadian first. Right. For a person of color to be appointed, those you know that we know uh, from the law society that were appointed as the first woman bencher in Ontario for the law society, that appointment right. was only three years ago. You know, when you think of see the exclusion, uh, and you know what we look at during Black History Month, is saying, well, these were the things that happened. The you know, and Rosemary, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I mean, there can be some agreement to say that generationally. You have a younger generation that sees that things are always okay, but don't know the struggle that would go back just one generation. You know, when you look at carding and Toronto Police Servicing having come out and apologizing for carding, you know, mm. the work of done by some of our, you know, more modern day activists that Wade Williams, you know, the Dudley Laws and some of the things that they experience compared to where we are now. Some things have gotten better. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. What do you see evolving, like particularly the younger generation? Are are, are people taking, are, are younger people taking up the mantle, as it were, and, and getting involved moving forward? That's such a hard question. Of course, they're doing things, but they may not be doing the things that we think they ought to do in the way that we think that we had done them. I think people <laughs> are involved, you know, yeah. um I think people are involved. I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm always heartened when I hear about young people being involved in things that are important to them, that are meaningful to them. And you're right. Maybe they don't um, appreciate some of the struggles that have gone on before, in part because they don't know about them. They haven't been right. things, so they can't fully appreciate them. And it takes a certain level of your own development to really be able to come back and circle back and look at situations and realize how challenging it is to bring about change. I, I know that I've had people, uh, like it took me almost tw two decades to have August 1st commemorated as Emancipation Day. Now that's mm. changed the world, but it is another opportunity to look at the reality in this case that Canada had slavery. But there are people who feel that, oh, you just have to go in and demand it and it will happen. You know, they, 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 don't have a, a sense of the barriers and the challenges and when things don't happen when they demand it and want it to happen yesterday they're frustrated i saw somebody yesterday he's he's new to canada he's from angola and he's involved in the media and he said to me i've been here for four years i'm trying to you know basically see things change and he's He's fed up and he's been here for four years. And I, I see that because, because yeah. people come in from, like, we're here and we know things are going to take yeah. damn long. He's yeah. 
coming from a place where everybody kind of looked like him, where maybe things he didn't feel the challenge or the push in the same way. But just imagine how people who've been here, who've been here for forever, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it. You have to have a long view, or it becomes really challenging to begin to put your foot in the water. You no, know, Steve, Bill, and it's so true because one of the things as our immigration numbers grow and and you see a new growth of Canadians from other parts of the world, you know, I had a conversation with somebody that said, why do you celebrate a Black History Month? And I, and I was able to walk them through why. And again, here's an individual from a, a part of the world, you know, still, uh, you know, brown, but these issues that we deal with, you know, and on the level that we dealt with them was something that they couldn't comprehend. They say that happened in Canada. Um, why did the Toronto police service come out and apologizing for carding? What did it mean? You know, at a celebration event, I had an individual come to me and says, no, Steve, I couldn't vote for you because you drive a Mercedes. I had to walk away. I had to walk away for my own mental health because it was so much there to try and unpack for this individual who just didn't understand, you know, because there was a generation and I was part of that generation where, you know, if, if you had the money, you bought yourself a nice car, you know what the impact was going to be when you pull out your driveway. I mean, I, I don't drive in certain areas of the GTA past six o'clock in the evening and, and that's current. Right. So, and here was somebody who wasn't a Canadian from another country, just didn't understand that these things were happening. And, you know, even though we're talking about Black History Month, it's the same that applies to uh, the Indigenous population here, you know. Right. A generation of new Canadians that don't understand Canada's past. And it's important to understand our history to ensure that we are making those policies that are well-rounded and mm-hmm. all-inclusive and truly inclusive. Mm-hmm. It's surprising enough that you talk about some of the race riots that were happening south of the border because right. not too far away in Hamilton, I mean, we had Lincoln Alexander. And I got to commend Rosemary again for her work around the Lincoln Alexandra Day. Uh, God, you work really hard, Rosemary. <laughs> you don't take all the days. Yeah. Because, you know, Lincoln Alexander was elected at a time when you had riots happening on the streets in Detroit and in Hamilton. You know, there was an old reel um, where we had, I, I, if you know, I might be wrong here, but it was one of our major news outlets acknowledging, you know, that Lincoln Alexander was elected Canada's first Negro to Parliament, you know, but, and that was the descriptive then. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way since then, you know, and, you know, kind of highlighting some of our differences between the American and the American situation for celebration of black culture. Now, Rosemary, I, I said I'd never ask a direct question, but I, I'm curious, what is the difference between Black History Month in the States from here or is there much of a difference no no i i participate in black history month events in the states as well and because in the united states we our celebration grew out of theirs, so we hold it at the same time of the year in february Um, but you should also know that black history month is is really global and for example um i'm part of some international celebrations that have taken place that they for the past couple of years they've been online thank you covid and um (laughs) one um one thing though is that uh in britain they celebrate black history month in october 
um, to oh. deal, to reflect more the more not the ancient um, uh, black population that was in Britain, but more to reflect the uh, Windrush generation and some of their arrival times. So um, Black History Month is something that people of African origin want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they support. So as we uh, wind down here, what else should people know about the general public know about Black History Month and keep in mind? We'll leave that to you, Rosemary. What should they know about Black History Month? Is it putting that on me? Okay. Uh, um, they should know that we truly would not be having anything like this if we had done the acknowledgement and the include and the inclusion if we were truly that land of freedom that we claim to be um yep. we would have already found long ago those ways to make everybody feel included and valued and um made space for them not just in front facing positions but in all levels and all the boards and all mm-hmm. the appointments um and, you know every everybody wants to work at a coffee shop not you know, there are other jobs that people want to work at, and there are other jobs that people are capable of. And, um, I mean, I was on a call earlier today, and it was uh, about Blacks um, in medicine. And yes. I guess, I don't know how I'm going to tie this in, but I think that it's really important to recognize the time that we're in. It makes it more critical as opposed to less critical. Just recently, the both the American and the Canadian um, Association of Psychiatry um, have declared that racism is a pandemic. So we kind of already knew that, you know, the racial pandemic. We we talked about COVID, but racism is a pandemic. So if racism is a pandemic, how do you counter racism? Do you just say, oh, well, People are like that. Let it go. Or do you actually find ways uh, on a one-to-one, in a group, uh-huh. in an organizational, but in a government-mandated way with intention to help people understand a little bit more about the story of the place they find themselves in? Yes. Yes. You know, it's so true, Bill, because I tied into uh, one of your previous podcasts on hate is uh, the instruments of education are taxpayer funded. So these mandates to deal with racism yep. and the lack and the celebration of culture has to be initiated by governments as well. Right. They can't, you know, and it was part of the conversation I had with Peterborough's race relation. I said, you can't let city council off the hook here. Mm-hmm. The mayor making a proclamation from behind the desk is words. It's empty. Yep. It's the actionable items that are meaningful, you yeah. know, uh, the letter that that employee re, re, you know, received with was blatant in racism. I mean, right. that's a member of this community. And how do you think that individual feels about whether or not they're welcome to this community when the empty words are, well, just don't do it. How about the actionable right. item that says this isn't acceptable? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, both uh, 
both remarks, your remarks are making me think of what is going on in the schools? Like, what are people, you know, because when I well, think about well, I was just going to say um, one of the in, uh, assumptions, erroneous assumptions that I had when we finally got a National Black History Month is that we would have curricula, we would have required Black history education being supported, developed, and offered to all of our students from kindergarten to grade 12. Uh And it's today, and we still do not have required Black history education. And and, there's some places where you can find, oh, a course on Black history in grade 12. You, you can, you can, it's sort of like saying there's a glass of water available for you when you're thirsty now, but you can only have the water a week from now. Like it, it, it has yeah. to be, it needs to be, it needs to be starting very early in yeah. life of every student. And I'm not just here talking about history. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's about a broader representation and recognition of the reality of not just multiculturalism that means a whole lot of European groups, but a multiculturalism that is really global in its offering and its experience. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this. Well, thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Rosemary. Uh, this has been Pints and Politics. We've been talking about Black History Month, and we are a podcast, and we are also a radio broadcast on Trent Radio 92.7 FN. And thank you very much.